0: relationships are becoming more and more common. Let's hitch up, let's live together and see how it goes. Seems to make perfect sense. Sure, why not? And yet that's not God's perfect plan for you, for me or for anyone else for that matter. So if it isn't, you have to ask yourself, well, why not? Bernie Diamond and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're going to dive deeper into God's Word in this last message in this series called Family, When Things Don't Turn Out the Way You'd Hoped. And please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes I'll be sharing something truly special with you to help you live in victory on those days when the daily grind of life just seems to be grinding away at you more than it should be. Was young, we're talking the 1960s and 70s here. A man and a woman living together without being married was an absolute scandal. A woman falling pregnant outside marriage, well, that was pretty much unthinkable. Today, both those things in most societies represent a perfectly valid lifestyle choice. The question is is it progress or is it a retrograde step that's decaying the very fabric of our society? Right there you have the divide between liberalism and conservatism, a divide that seems to dominate the politics of many a country. I'm going to tell you right up front what I think and why. I believe that God's plan is for a man and a woman, and only a man and a woman, to be joined together in a lifelong relationship of marriage, a permanent intimate relationship, emotional, spiritual, physical, financial, the whole kit and caboodle, the whole nine yards, the whole cotton pick and lot, all in boots and all. At this point, some people might want to brand me a conservative, a fundamentalist, and anything else they can think of, maybe a bigot. It seems these days when we disagree with someone, what we do is we hurl a label at them that has derogatory connotations as a way of marginalising their perspective. This happens particularly when Christians express views which go against popular opinion and, and the wisdom of the day. Seems to me that when we're talking about what constitutes a family, people have very short memories. It's only 30 or 40 years ago, well within my lifetime, that both the extended and the nuclear families were the norm, where marriage was the appropriate way to express love between a man and a woman, where marriage was the only place in which to bring children into this world. All of that was based largely on the Judeo-Christian beliefs that come from, well, yeah, you guessed it, the Bible. Well, today, many have rejected those considering marriage to be anachronistic. And let's face it, sex drives a lot of things. We don't like to talk too much about it, but we're all sexual beings. And sex drive is an incredibly powerful drive, and and rightly so. It's part of God's plan and God's design to make sure that we continue to be abundant and multiply and fill the earth. Well, that bit seems to be working just fine. But God's plan for sex is to bind two people together, a man and a woman, together in a lifelong relationship. Jesus, quoting the book of Genesis, puts it this way. Matthew 19, verse 5, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. God's good and perfect will is for a lifelong relationship of commitment and intimacy. Intimacy is more than sex. It's a deep emotional connection that finds its fulfilment in a man and a woman exclusively sharing their lives and their bodies with one another. Hey, it's a beautiful plan. It's God's very best for us. And so I, I look at this whole living together, de facto relationships thing without commitment, and I ask myself, why would you possibly want to do that? Why would you want to settle for second best? I've spoken to women who've decided to live with men, and their biggest complaint is a lack of commitment. There's an old saying that women give sex in order to get love, and men give love in order to get sex. Maybe that's a bit cynical, but but I think there's some truth in that. Remember one woman living with a man saying to me, my mother told me never to live with a man, because if you do, he won't want to marry you. I think she was right. We live in an era where values of courage, of persistence, of sacrifice, of discipline, of commitment are being undermined, eroded through the self centeredness of a consumer society in which we have so much choice as to how we can entertain ourselves and and fulfil ourselves. Although, let's be honest, filling ourselves never delivers the fulfilment we're looking for. How much of not making the commitment of marriage falls into this self centeredness that we've bred into ourselves, I wonder? Well, what I'll do is that I'll try before I buy her. I'll live with her or him, as the case may be, and we'll see if it works. If we're compatible, that's the mentality. Well, let me tell you, no man and woman are completely compatible. They are going to drive each other nuts sometimes. They are going to hurt each other sometimes. They are going to tread on each other's toes and, and get in each other's spaces sometimes. And when your partner is driving you completely bonkers, the one thing that keeps you together isn't the great sex, I have to tell you, or all the romantic notions that you had when you set out on this journey. What keeps you together is the commitment that you made to one another when you took your marriage vows. It's the sense of inviolable commitment that causes you to forgive. It's that sense of commitment that causes you to cover up the faults of the other and to compensate for them. By definition, love cannot be love unless it's based on commitment. So-called love without commitment is just a form of manipulation, getting what you want out of the relationship. And when you're done, hey, just walk away. That is not God's plan. That is not God's best. And I have to tell you, I have never met a couple who abstained from sexual intimacy until they were married who regretted that. But I've met plenty of people who've had multiple sexual partners and are now in a marriage who regret their sleeping around. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. Life can be hard work some days. And as that daily grind just kind of grinds away at us, it's easy to forget that Jesus died and rose again to give us victory. That's why I'd love to send you a short text message of encouragement straight to your phone, just as the Spirit leads, perhaps even when you least expect it. That's what Victory SMS is all about. Roughly every other week, I ask the Lord what word of encouragement could I give to you today? So, if you'd like the occasional bit of encouragement to help you live your life in victory, then head across to victorysms.org. And when you do subscribe, you'll immediately receive a free copy of my ebook, Power Unlimited. Thousands of people already have, and the most common response oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. How did you know that? Thank you so much. It's simply amazing how powerfully the Spirit of God can move through just a short text message. And I'd love to encourage you too to live your life in victory. Again, that web address is victorysms.org. Okay, let's head straight back into the Word of God. In the UK, the US, Canada and New Zealand, Australia... In fact, across the Western world, 28% of households contain only one person. That's staggering. Between one quarter and one third of all households contain only one person. And 28% seems to be a pretty standard figure across the so-called developed world. Now, you might think, that in much more family-oriented societies like Asia, the picture would be different, and to some extent it is. But things are changing. Take India, for instance. This is what the Hindustan Times has to say. Since the dawn of time, human societies have structured themselves around the family group held together by bonds of affinity. In India, typically, families were large, including several generations, and tightly knit. There was safety in numbers in an unpredictable world with meagre resources. Only those who didn't have a choice, victims of some terrible calamity, were compelled to live alone. But things are changing. Indeed, they are changing so fast that India will have 17.4 million single-person households by 2020. According to the projections of London-based marketing firm Euromonitor, only the US, China and Japan in that order will have more single-person households. This is a big shift culturally and economically for a society that generally celebrates the idea of family. And see, that's the tradition that's been going on around the world over the last 50 or so years. As levels of affluence have risen, the extended family has given way to the nuclear family, which in many respects is giving way to the single-person household. Why is it related to affluence? Well, the more affluent we become, the less we need safety in numbers, or so we think. But notwithstanding this trend, so many people who are married, who are living in family relationships, look down on singleness. And that is particularly true, let me say, of Christians. The activities of many churches revolve around families and couples leaving singles out in the cold. People head off after church on Sundays in groups to have lunch or whatever. The young families with the kids tend to go out together and the older people without kids form clusters and go somewhere else for a quieter lunch And the singles, and I remember this happening to me when I was single, seemed to be just forgotten. We don't quite say it out loud, but singleness in the thoughts of many is a lesser state. There must be something wrong with you if you're single. But that's simply not what the Bible teaches. In fact, it's the complete opposite. According to God's word, and therefore according to God, singleness is a much higher calling being married 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 1 to 8. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote it is well for a man not to touch a woman but because of cases of sexual immorality each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise, the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a set time, to devote yourselves to prayer, and then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of a concession, not of a command. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has a particular gift from God, one having one kind, one having a different kind. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am. But if you are not practicing self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion." Now, the thing that I love about God's word is that it's plain and direct about things. And here, God is saying through Paul, well, he's stating the blindingly, glimpsingly obvious. We both, men and women, have a sex drive. It's been put there by God for a very good reason, to procreate the species, and is a great blessing of intimacy between husband and wife. But the only appropriate place where that should be exercised is in the context of a lifelong exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. And despite the strong assertions to the contrary these days, when it comes to same-sex relationships or, or casual heterosexual relationships or just living together, as much as those sins are being promoted as a valid lifestyle choice, You don't have to be a psychologist or a biologist to figure out the wisdom of God's plan of the expression of intimacy in marriage between a man and a woman alone. But pick up now what the Apostle Paul says about all this. I say this by way of concession, not of a command. I wish that all were as I myself am, which is single, but each has a particular gift from God, one having one kind of gift, another having another kind of gift. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am. Now why does Paul say that? Well, frankly, Paul simply couldn't have done what he did if he'd been married. In fact, in this very same chapter he goes on to say that, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 28 and 32 to 38. Those who marry will experience distress in this life. And I would spare you from that. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the affairs of the world, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman and the virgin are anxious about the affairs of the Lord, so that they may be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the affairs of the world and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to put any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to the Lord. So then, he who marries his fiancée does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if the husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my judgment, she is more blessed if she remains as she is. Do you see what he's saying here? Singleness is a higher calling than marriage because when you're single, you can be singularly focused on God and getting about the business of doing what he's called you to do. So to those who are single, let me say this. Recognize that this may be God's calling on your life. If it isn't, if in your heart of hearts you know it isn't, don't rush out there and get hitched to the first wife or husband that comes along. As someone once said to me when I was single and keen to find a wife, the only thing worse than being single is being married to the wrong person. But if you know in your heart of hearts that God has called you to a single life to serve him, then I want you to be encouraged today to recognize the high calling that he has put on you and to get on with being who he made you to be. Don't let the trashy opinions of others who seem to stare down their noses at your singleness distract you from what God has called you to do. The one who marries will do well, but the one who refrains from marriage will do better. And to all those who are living in families and and enjoy that, I pray that this message about singleness will be a bit of a wake-up call of the special single people that you have in your life. Churches, wake up to these special people whom God has called and placed in your midst. They're free agents, free agents to work as soldiers of the Lord in the spiritual battle for souls that's playing itself out around the globe. They are capable of giving time that married people aren't capable of giving. They are capable of getting up and going wherever God calls them on the globe to serve him in a way that we married people are not. The single life is a much higher calling than married life. A calling that, as Jesus said, not all are able to follow. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. There's no doubt that in this postmodern high-tech age, doing family, being family, is more difficult than it's ever been before. That's why so many families are being torn apart which is why I'd love to send you a free copy of my latest life application booklet. It's called Healing for Broken Families. And with the questions at the end of each chapter, you'll be able to chew things over to apply God's Word right into the realities of your family's life. Because His Word is alive and active. Amen? So I'm praying that God will pour His love right out there in the middle of your family through this booklet. You can request your free copy right now. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 and we'll send it straight out to you in the post. Again, that's ChristianityWorks.com or 1-300-722-415. Now, let's head back into God's Word. over the last few weeks, we've been talking about all different aspects of our families in this series that I've called Family, when things don't turn out quite the way you'd hoped. We all sometimes look at our own family situations and wonder what we have gotten ourselves into and why is it so hard? And some days, why are our family members so difficult? On and on and on, right? No matter how blessed you are through your family, there are times when your thinking heads down that path. We look at all those other apparently perfect families out there and wonder to ourselves, why am I having so many problems? Why is this so hard? We think at this point that we're Robinson Crusoe, that we're the only person on the planet that's going through what we're going through. Why is my husband so difficult? Why why doesn't he get it? Or why is she so emotional? Can't she just think through it logically for once in her life? Or when it comes to our children... Is he ever going to grow out of this? Is she ever going to turn out all right? Why can't they just do as they're told for once? And for those who are single, for those whom we talked about before the break, who are part of the mounting statistic of single-person households across the globe, if only I had some more people around me who I could talk to who, who understand. Those pressures mount up and mount up, and unless we have people to share them with, People who've been there, people who aren't directly involved and yet understand and care. The pressure's going to become unbearable. One of the things that God's Word talks a lot about is His family, the church. Now, I know that many people have had bad experiences at church. We all have, in fact, truth be known. And the reason is that there aren't any perfect families on the planet, and God's family is no different. In fact, because it's so much bigger than our immediate family, there are many more imperfect people in it to frustrate us and to annoy us, and some days to hurt us. People often look at the church and they imagine that it's like you know Noah's Ark, two perfect specimens of each type. But that's not it. It's not like walking into a zoo and seeing the perfect family of lions in this enclosure and the perfect family of monkeys in that enclosure and the perfect family of deer in that enclosure. Think more train wreck. Think more hospital emergency ward with people being patched up. Think rehabilitation ward as people learn to walk again and to talk again. God's family, the church, is jam-packed full of sinners Saved by grace. People, frankly, who look very much like you and me. They're all different. They all have different strengths and weaknesses. Here's the picture that the Apostle Paul paints of this large and very imperfect family. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptised into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear would say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, you see, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them just as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honourable we clothe with greater honour, and our less respectable members are treated with great respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honour to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually you are members of it. That's a really powerful picture. People with different abilities and different attributes and different weaknesses. See, my weakness is probably your strength. I don't have a pastoral bone in my body, but you're able to visit people in the hospital and and sit with them for hours as they recover or perhaps as they die. You may not be much of a public speaker, whereas I'm able to stand up in front of a group of five people or 50,000 people and open the scriptures in a way that changes people's lives. Does it make sense for my inability to do what you can do to get you upset or vice versa? No. No. And in that family, in God's family, there are people who've been through what you're going through in your life. There are older women there for the younger wives, who've seen their difficult teenagers grow up into apparently normal, effective adults. Older women who can encourage you and share some wisdom with you if you're a young mother struggling, juggling work and family. There are older men for you young guys who don't know where your life is headed who have enough grey hair and life experience to sit with you and share with you. There are people who have been through marriage breakdown and divorce and come out the other side, who can hold and comfort those who are struggling through that, that terrible time right now. See, that's why the Bible says this. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. so let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today, securely online at ChristianityWorks.com or by calling 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, two things. Firstly, don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet that I've been telling you about. It's only available for a limited time, so don't miss out. Secondly, we would love to pray for you. Absolutely. Just click on the powerful prayer tile at the bottom of the homepage. Again, that's all at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Hey, thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.